Reading from Matthew 1, verse 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is, in, uh, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Right. Please do keep Matthew 1 open. Matthew chapter 1 and 2 are, are our Advent sort of series chapters um, in, these, in these four weeks. Now, I recently came across an article in a science blog. It was about top 10 prodigies in their fields. Is it clear what the prodigy is? Kind of a wunderkind, you know, an amazingly gifted child. And here is what the blogger said. There is nothing else that can make you feel like your life is over around your 21st birthday like prodigies do. Just a few examples. Blaise Pascal, who was building a complex geometric theorems by the age of 12. Now, I don't think I knew what geometry was around 12. And he was doing this sort of thing already. Uh, another one, John von Neumann divided eight-digit numbers in his head at the age of six. And he was, he was able to memorize several pages of a telephone directory at the age of eight. Now, I am struggling remembering my own phone number sometimes when people ask it. But here is what this guy did. And the third one, Akrid Yaswal, if I pronounce it correctly, he performed his first surgery at the age of seven. How does that make you feel, all the medical students? Well, I'm not sure if I would lie under their scalpel at, you know, in the hand of a seven-year-old, but here you go. How does that make us feel? And the blogger, the blogger continues, most child prodigies have accomplished more by that age than we will in our lifetime. What's worse, some of them even lead quite productive lives as adults. Well, that's enough to make you feel like evolution 
has failed you, concludes the blogger. Well, obviously, he was a Darwinist. Now, friends, today I want us to take a very good look at another prodigy. He has not written a single book. He has not composed a single song. He hasn't drawn any paintings. He hasn't come up with any theorems. And yet, because of him, the history of mankind is divided into two parts, before and after the birth of this child. Now, what makes this child so special? This is a question we're going to try to answer today. Matthew, Matthew, who writes his biography, introduces him as Messiah, which means God's anointed ruler. And Matthew base, backs it up by highlighting three things about this child. Ready? His special origin, his special name, and his special task. Origin, name, and task. And yes, yes, this child is responsible for all the fuss around Christmas celebrations. Firstly, so, the special origin of this child. Now, if you have Matthew 1 open, glance at verse 18. 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but as I kind of finish reading this sentence, I think to myself, poor girl, poor Mary. I can't even begin to imagine what this young woman in the first century was going through. Now, Luke, Luke, the writer of another account, pays much greater attention to Mary. But Matthew, Matthew decides to focus on Joseph. So we will run with Joseph, Joseph's perspective on it here. Well, it's not hard to imagine, isn't it, how someone having read this, or in Joseph's case, heard this, you know, that, 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 that someone says pregnant through the Holy Spirit, says, yeah, right, yeah, right. Imagine how Joseph, staring at Mary's tummy, thinks to himself, well, I clearly, clearly know that she is my bride. I clearly know that we haven't had sex, but it is as clear as day that she has started wearing jeans from the H&M maternity clothing department. <laughs> and then he thinks, I don't even want to know what happened. Well, it is worth, guys, it's worth pausing and addressing the elephant in the room, isn't it? Let me tell you the whole subject of where babies come from is not an easy one. It's not an easy one. For example, my children, my children who are happily in the Sunday school now, they, they know they all came from the, their mummy's tummy. 
and that was very easy to explain. Uh, thankfully, they weren't too interested uh, into how they ended up there in the first place. That's yet to come. I remember the first time my parents tried to educate me and my brother about the subject. They set us in front of this TV, it was during the Soviet times, and they showed us this old Soviet cartoon called Where Do Babies Come From? It was really embarrassing, you can't even imagine. It is so good that we have plenty of medical students here today. They can explain the whole thing in fine detail. Um, sorry to put you on the spot all the time, guys. Um, we love you, medical students. Anyway, anyway, we all understand the basics, right? If I'm not mistaken, it takes a mom, XX, and it takes a dad, XY, to make a baby. So did Joseph. So did Joseph, Mary's husband. He, he wasn't naive. He wasn't uneducated. He knew basic biology. And Joseph was also a righteous man. Verse 19, do you see? He didn't want a public scandal around the baby and Mary, so he decided to quietly kind of leave her divorce her, because kind of engagement in that culture, in that time, was like marriage, right? He decided to divorce her. Well, far from being naive, Joseph was not prepared to sort of blindly believe the results of Mary's paternity test, you know, um, which said, uh, father of the, of the child, God. Joseph knew where the babies normally come from, but remember, Remember, Matthew, Matthew is making the case that the origin of this baby is not normal. It's special. It's special because his conception is not natural, but supernatural. Well, someone in our preaching group kind of said, well, maybe our medical students could come up with a chart of how that happened. But no one does. No one can do this. No one can do this. Now, what do you make of the special origin of this baby? Are you convinced of Jesus' miraculous conception? Now, someone said this about Jesus' miraculous conception. Listen. Here's a quote, it is beyond our comprehension and therefore there is no need to speculate about it. But why wouldn't God, who created heaven and earth with a few words, also create 23 chromosomes in a woman's body? Is there a reason why he couldn't do that? Does God normally do that? No, no, God has wisely and, th and thoughtfully arranged the procreation of human beings. But it doesn't mean God cannot do it. He is the creator God after all. Well, he may take some time, right, and convincing to, to take Matthew at his word. At least it took some time and convincing in Joseph's case, what convinced Joseph that the father of the baby in Mary's womb is indeed God? 
It, it wasn't sobbing Mary, you know, who spent half the night trying to convince her husband of the child's miraculous origin. No. What changed Joseph's mind? Glance at verse 20. It was an angel of God who said this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, it almost seems that, that, that as God, you know, it almost seems that God is kind of telling Joseph, hey man, take up, take up your family photo you know, of the last week, take it up and find in it David. Find David in your family photo. And do you remember what did God say to David? What did he promise to David? Yes, a special son who's going to reign forever, whose kingdom is going to be forever. Remember, what changed God's mind, uh, jo Joseph's mind, sorry, God did. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. Now, I, I love how Matthew underlines that the child's special origin here. Joseph didn't have sex with Mary until she gave birth to this son. This baby indeed was born of the will of God alone. He's the Messiah, the long-awaited divine ruler of his people. The special origin of this child is what makes him very special. But secondly, secondly, we see that this child has a special, very special name. The special name of the child. Glance at verse 21 again and what the angel of God said to Joseph. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him name, the name Jesus. I don't, I don't know how much parents think today about the, the meaning of various names before they give it to their babies. Well, sometimes I think it happens in the absence of mind when the name is given. I think it was 2011, which particularly shocked me, when 24 parents in Latvia decided to name their daughters Stalin. Well, of course, in Latvia, there's a female ending with A, right? It doesn't change the fact. Now, why would you do something like that on the back of the kind of 20th century horrors in Latvia? In fact, which is, it gets worse, guys. In fact, for at least a month, I thought that our downstairs neighbors have named their son Adolf. Really. And how relieved I was then I realized I have completely misheard the father. His name is Alfred. Well, there is a, a, a world of difference, isn't it? Well, names not only have meaning, right, but they carry the, the kind of the, the certain feeling about it. And so it is with the name of this special child, baby Jesus. The meaning of Jesus' name is, do you know what? God 
saves. God saves. Now, guys, the danger, the danger of Christmas is that, that we can get lost in the whole sentiment of it. We see that there is, you know, something special about the origin of Jesus. We, we even see that there is something really special about the name of this baby. You know, but this family, this family lived kind of more than 2,000 years ago in, in a far, far land. And they don't seem to impact, you know, our life directly today. It's a danger of Christmas. For example, we know one family back in UK when we lived for a couple of years there. And th this particular couple, they've been living together for 17 years without any children. Uh, and they were actually quite sure that they can't have children. God doesn't give them children. And um, then one fine day, the wife got pregnant after like 17 years. And I'm not, I'm not aware of any drama around it, of course. Um, but when I met the father at the conference in England, we had a really, really good laugh. And I said to him, you know, hey, he really is a miracle baby, isn't he? And to affirm, yeah, to affirm their own amazement about it, they in fact, name the baby, well, not Jesus. That would be too eccentric, right? Too eccentric. But they gave him name Joshua. And do you know what Joshua means? It means exactly the same. God saves. Well, it's a lovely story, isn't it? And it's true. And I remember it so well because Joshua and Timothy were born in the same year. But you know what? In the same time, it doesn't impact our lives personally. You know, it happened like 17 years ago. It happened in a far, far land behind many, many seas. It doesn't impact our lives personally. But friends, that's not the case with Jesus. Matthew wants you to see that Jesus had to do, has to do more with your life than you probably realize. He is not just another Joshua. You know, he's not just an important historical leader uh, in a certain historical period, you know, in a certain place at a certain time, first century Rome. No. No. All this, Matthew says, is the fulfillment of what God has said through the prophet Isaiah more than 700 years ago. Close at verse 22. Here is what the prophet Isaiah said. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus turns out has two special names. Jesus, God saves, and Emmanuel, God with us. Just pause and think about it for a moment. The Creator God personally arrived on this earth to live amongst His people. And the way He decided to do it 
was by taking up the flesh and blood of a baby. Isn't that the most humble thing you have ever heard? Well, it's, it's impossible to imagine what it took. Well, most of you, most of you, of course, know what it took for you to resettle, to move from your home country to this country, right? To, to start a new life in an in a unknown, unknown place, find where to live, find a job, maintain a job, sort out the kind of residencies and everything, make friends, survive the Latvian winter. You know, you know what it takes. But here is God the creator of heaven and earth, traveling galaxies to the dust-sized place in a remote corner of the universe, to the place he had specially made for the creatures called humans. And think, the arrival of God on earth was far from smooth. Far from smooth. The immortal one shared in our immortality. Well, sorry, in our mortality. Jesus was almost born in a single parent family. Have you ever thought about this? Because Joseph wanted to leave Mary. Jesus was almost born in a single fa parent family. His parents afterwards struggled to find a place to stay. And people around him, meaning Jesus, even his own brothers and sisters, for most of his life, didn't think much of him. What is the essential message of Christmas? It's this. God in Jesus is Emmanuel who saves us. God who is with us and for us. Turns out the child with the special origin and a special name, he has a special task. So the third thing, the special task of the child. Look again at verse 21, please. Angel says she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? because he will save his people from their sins. So what Matthew is basically saying is this, Jesus is the long-promised divine king who comes to dwell with his people in order to save them from their sins. Now, in all honesty, right, sin... S-I-N. Sin is not something that we do feel comfortable talking about, don't we? And because that's the case, we often will diminish its meaning and we will diminish its impact on our lives. Now, how many times I have heard people, you know, say things like, now, my biggest sin is smoking or drinking, or, or my biggest sin is eating too much cake. Um, others have said, you know, my greatest sin is playing too many computer games, uh, or I watch 
way too many soap operas or TV series. And often people will continue. They will say, Roy, my, my biggest sin is messing up relationships, you know, either at work or, you know, in my personal life. Kind of that's my biggest sin. But here is the thing. There must be a more important reason for God to leave the heavenly bliss and come to earth than you fancying too much cake or watching too much TV or calling someone an idiot. There must be a more important reason, right? And friends, there is a more important reason for God to come on earth. Because you see, the sin that humanity has committed is incomparably greater than just a you know, relational mistake or personal weakness. The sin that Matthew talks about is one of messing up the relationships with God. Rejecting his loving rule, his goodness, his truthfulness. This is something that, you know, we inherited from Adam and Eve, our first parents. You know, those who have followed the Roman series will remember that. Think, there in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve behaved like this ungrateful student I once heard of. Heartbroken parents told how they were traveling long distance to visit their son at the university campus. And so as they were knocking on the door of the dorm, you know, room of their son, their son opened it just to slam the doors back in the face of their parents' father, saying, I don't wish to see you. I don't want to see you. And, and that, of course, is a really pale analogy, analogy of what Adam and Eve actually did. Think. God had created the earth and the garden as a perfect home for these two. God himself was dwelling in their midst, you know, walking with them, caring for them. And yet they, they declared that it would be better if God wasn't there running their lives. They could do it perfectly well without him. And, and I, I think that is what people do every day as they get up in the morning, as they, you know, they have their breakfast, they go to work, they make money, they spend all of it on themselves, go on holidays, they celebrate life without ever, ever referring to God, without ever thanking him about all these gifts. Now, aside from them and often us being really poor at running our lives, let alone running the world, what do you think this act of autonomy deserves? What do you think? Well, the Bible's answer is very clear. One word, death. Yes, physical death. Yes, None of us stay on this earth. We're not here to stay. But more importantly, spiritual death and separation from our loving creator, 
God. Now, how come death? How come the spiritual death? How come so harsh? You see, the punishment matches the person that's offended. God, who is of infinite value, judges his rejection, deserving infinite separation. Those who want God to leave them alone now will be left alone forever. What, do you see why the Christmas message is so important and so wonderful? God doesn't leave humanity in their sins, but instead he comes down to save it from their sins. This is what Jesus does 33 years later. A child of a special origin with a special name accomplishes his special task 33 years later. A week ago, Nissi did the reading before he left for India. And do you remember what Nissi said about Christmas? He said, Jesus is the reason for the season. And I think viewing and hearing today's passage, we can say even more, the cross of Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is not only the king who brought Christmas, Jesus is also the king who brought Easter. God in Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us who is for us and saves us from our sins. Well, who do you say this child is? Who do you say this child is? Do you see how Jesus is a special child? He's a really, really special child. But instead of making us feel worthless as, you know, and put down like prodigies normally make us feel, like this guy performing a surgery, you know, seven years old. Jesus makes us feel valued. Jesus makes us feel loved. Jesus himself, friends, says elsewhere, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Well, let's close with a prayer. The angel of the Lord said, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Father God, thank you that in Jesus, you are Emmanuel, God with us. And thank you that in Jesus, you save us from our sins. Amen.